Welcome to That's All, a weekly debrief about anything and everything happening in fashion and pop culture with Cozzy and Em. I'm Em. And I'm Cozzy. And welcome back to normal episodes. It's been a fun little two weeks of deep dives, but we are back, baby, with some thoughts and opinions. We hope you liked the deep dives. We had fun recording them. Yeah, it was a very, very fun little day just chatting about two things that we're incredibly passionate about. But we did it because you went to New Zealand, Emily. And how was New Zealand? It was really good. It was nice to have a break away from the laptop, away from the Sydney air and the Sydney storms for a little while. So beautiful holiday. Miss it already. I feel like coming back from holidays to December to pre-Christmas is very whiplashy. Oh, it's grim because you're not just coming back to like the downfall of your motivation. It's like you're busy, plus you have a thousand things to buy and then you're poor and it's just hor- like it's a very intensive time to come back to a town. Anyways, how's your fortnight been? My fortnight has been good. Just chill vibes, working, seeing friends, lots of silly season situations, just catching up before Christmas, but also a lot of content ingesting as it were I've been watching and reading some fun stuff there's a lot of content out at the moment I feel there's just new things there's so much happening I know but I still feel like I'm like what should I watch today and then I, I don't know but I did watch the other week I watched okay so I watched two things recently one was so crap that I'm not going to recommend it or talk about it because I wasted six hours of my life on it now I have to know it's a show called the couple next door on binge and it was beyond trash I saw the trailer and I was like this is gonna be interesting like fun fun little juicy thing whatever and then my friend Kara was like oh you're watching the couple next door and I was like funny you should say that I want to watch it because it's got what's his face from Outlander Sam Hewen yeah it's got the guy from How to Get Away with Murder and Harry Potter Alfred Enoch and it's got Eleanor Tomlinson who plays Jazz in Angus Songs and Perfect Snogging she's also Demelza in Poldark but the girls the real girls know her as Jazz from uh, Angus songs and it's basically about two couples who live live next door to each other and how their lives entangle and it's this sort of frothy desperate housewivesy drama but it just ended so stupidly that I will not recommend that it. it was terrible and it's on binge if you don't want to watch it but it's there <laughs> but um my actual recommendation is the artful dodger on Disney plus with uh, the little boy from love actually Thomas Brody Sangster I like that he's still a little boy because he does look 15 years old he looks like a little boy but he looks so cute in this show but it's basically like a continuation of the artful dodger story so the artful dodger was a character in oliver twist in the charles dickens book and he gets like i mean deported to australia on one of the convict ships um he steals a bunch of stuff and then i haven't read oliver twist you couldn't tell from my terrible discussion of it but he gets sent to australia and it sort of picks up 15 years later he's now a surgeon in sydney I think I don't think it's actually specified where they are. Anyway, but then Fagin, the like King of the Thieves from Oliver Twist, was also sent to Australia and he's played by David Thelwis, who plays Professor Lupin in Harry Potter. And he comes back to try and convince the awful Dodger, whose name is Jack, to come back to a life of thieving. And Jack's basically like, No, I've got my own life here in Australia. I don't want to go back to being a thief, but he kind of obviously does. Uh, and it's very cute. It's very fun. Modern soundtrack, a very fun little Australian um, cast. Damon Harriman's in it. Jessica DeGau, who's also in The Couple Next Door, lol. And Susie Porter's in it. Um, a bunch of really, really good people. 
And it's just good fun. Oh, and Maya Mitchell, who was in The Fosters. Did you ever watch The Fosters? No. Yeah, you you, did, you didn't miss anything. <laughs> but she was in she was in that, and she plays like the kind of plucky heroine who has like cute little chemistry with Love Actually Boy. It's actually really really cute. I actually really enjoyed it. I got very emotionally involved in it. So then, by the time the last episode rolled around, I was I was gonna be very very upset if things didn't go a certain way. But I very much enjoyed it. So that's my recommendation. It's on Disney Plus and I think there are about eight episodes. It's just good fun. Good frothy fun. And also uh, lots of blood and guts. So not for the squeamish because he's a surgeon. But he basically hacks off people's limbs without um, – yeah, he just goes for it. But anyway, because uh, it's set in like the 19th century. So they all they all love a bit of that. But what is your recommendation this week, Emily? Mine is significantly lighter with no blood and guts. Excellent. It's Christmas time. It's the end of the year. I yeah. will not be consuming anything that requires my brain for the next two months. So don't expect anything like that. I watched Xmas, a new Christmas rom-com. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it, but I know of it. Watch it. It's got Leighton Meester and Robbie Amell, who he was the lead guy in The Duff. But he's also the cousin of Stephen Amell, who was Oliver Queen in Arrow. Stephen Amell was like my earliest crush. So Really? Respect. We love the Amells. I always saw that that video of him on Arrow where he's like jumping. Doing the salmon like ladder. ladder. Doing the, yeah. 13-year-old <laughs> me yeah. loved that. And I never, I literally never watched one episode of Arrow, but I remember that sequence in my head. <laughs> it was just a, a 2012, 2013 Rite of Passage. Yeah, I did love The Duff, though. That was such a good... I mean, not a good movie. Again, I take everything that I say with a grain of salt. No. But I very much enjoyed The Duff. The Duff is a great movie. I will stand by that. Did you read the book? The no. book was fucked. There were books? I got given the book. I got given the book um, as a present, and I read it, and I was like, this is so... It was way darker than the movie. The movie was light and fluffy compared to the book. Oh, my God. I can't remember why it was dark, but I remember it was dark, and I was really shocked by it. But anyway, so Xmas. Xmas, yes. It's about two exes who end up at the same family Christmas. And it's got all the things. It's competitive and it's fun and silly and romantic. It reminded me a little bit of You Again. Oh, with um, with Kristen Bell. Yeah, and Sigourney Weaver. I and- love that movie. That was a really... That was a really underrated good movie. It was. I really enjoyed that movie. But it reminded me of that. So if you want just a silly Christmas watch, watch this. I It has 40% on Rotten Tomatoes, so you know it's going to be good because Rotten Tomatoes don't know a good thing. But yeah, Leighton Meester is always welcome on my screen. It's prestige television. Yeah, she, it's been a while since I've seen her, other than, other than being Blair Waldorf. But she still looks like she could pass as like a... 25 year old oh yeah does she still have that fringe I don't know if I love the fringe she does have the fringe what do you think about the fringe I like the fringe but it makes her look a lot younger she's 37 Mm. what she's 37 oh my god that I don't like that no freaks me out I feel like the fringe is all right I feel like I've seen her having a shorter fringe which I don't like because it gives very like inner west girly it's like the inner West girl fringe, which I hate. It's so at odds with what we know Leighton Meester for. Yeah. Sorry to everyone who has an inner West girly fringe, but. <laughs> I'm not a fringe girl. I was. I got a fringe. It was terrible. It was a terrible era. Like a front, like bangs? Oh, yeah. I got proper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In like 20, 
crikey, 2018. Oh, so like recent. Uh, yeah, I prefer to think of it as the distant past. <laughs> but yeah, I got a fringe and it became a narrative in my life for like a year because all I would complain about was the fringe. So it would be like, it's too long, it's too short, it's too oily, it doesn't fall right, da 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 And everyone at my work just like hated me because all I would do, would talk, we'd talk about this fringe. But it got really, when it grew out and it was like longish side bang things, it looked really cute. No, it was just like me and my fringe. It was terrible. And then I cut my hair short and that was also terrible. <laughs> I just had two, two whoppers in one go. You have to do it. I think it just has to happen. I don't have the kind of hair where... I can experiment with it. Like my hair is quite frizzy. It's not curly, but not wavy, oh. but not straight. So if I had a fringe, it would look like a mane. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm yeah. saving myself and saving everyone I love by not getting a fringe. I think that's really nice. I didn't save anybody, uh, unfortunately. And I hate looking back at the photos now. I said it was a really bad era of hair, to be honest. I styled it really poorly and I just should have known better. 2018 was a a wasteland for style and hair and everything. I mean, I feel like you're being very generous. <laughs> it was not that long ago. I was like a, I was like a fully employed person. I really like should have known better. Yeah, we were tax paying people. I literally, I mean, I may still live, have lived at home, but I had a proper job, social <laughs> life, friends, the whole shebang. I should have known better. All, all the things that normal people have. Exactly. But speaking of a woman who rocks a fringe. Cracking on. In news that surprises absolutely nobody, Taylor Swift has been named Time's Person of the Year mm, very for 2023. And this is actually very commendable for another reason, because they've never named an entertainer as Person of the Year. It's always been politicians or leaders, monarchs, figureheads. It's never been a musician or entertainment personality. I didn't know that. Yeah. I feel like she transcends now. She's just like the culture. She is. Like it's completely unsurprising that um, they gave her this title. For reference, they've last year it was Elon Musk. In the 30s, like 1938 or something, it was Adolf Hitler. So it's it's influence in its most kind of pure form, regardless of how it's used. (laughs) What do you think about about it? Because there's been a lot of discussion about all of the conflict that's been going on in the Middle East and, you know, should it have been someone a bit more in the political or, like, activist, journalist arena compared to Taylor? I find these conversations hard because I completely respect that there are things that we need to be talking about and that we need to be discussing and we need to be acknowledging. But... At the same time, these other realms and industries don't just stop. No, they do exist. So that's true. I 1000% think that they had conversations about is this insensitive at this point in time and just threw caution to the wind and said, well, she has been a huge influence this year. Yeah, that that makes sense. I think it was interesting seeing tweets from like people who are Taylor Swift fans who were like huge fans being like, I don't know if I agree with this. I thought that was very interesting yeah. to to see. I also think that this isn't the most influential thing ever. It's not like they've named her president. They haven't given her any more power than she already had. For her, this is no. just like another notch on her CV. Oh, for her, like in terms of like how her year has been, she's just like, yeah, another thing to add to my shelf, like whatever. But yeah, I felt like it was an intriguing 
intriguing choice that makes sense, but I think a lot of people would just have been disagreeing with it. Yeah. What do you think? I think it's interesting. I think it makes sense. I think there's like obviously a big conversation to be had around these like mastheads naming one particular person of the year. I Because especially there's been like so much going on in the world, but like you can't deny that she's had an unparalleled impact on culture this year in particular. Like it's just everywhere you go, people are talking about her. I've had so many conversations about her this year. I feel like she's been the main topic, whether it be her breaking up with Joe Alwyn, her getting with Maddie Healy, her starting the Eras tour, her releasing Speak Now in 1989, her with Travis Kelsey, the, you know, impact she's had on football, blah dee da da Like, I feel like there's just been so many different aspects to her fame this year that they do need to be discussed. But I thought it was interesting that a lot of Tales for People had, Tales for Fans had spoken out about it saying, um, you know, while I do love Taylor and I'm happy for her, I do think there are better options, specifically the brave Palestinian journalists that, that continue to risk their lives in order to show us the truth of what's happening in Gaza. And then, like, I've loved and even idolised Taylor for over 17 years, but don't you think maybe person of the year should be the journalists risking their lives in Gaza? Which, like, obviously is an incredibly fair argument. But I do, like, I think you're right. The other aspects of culture don't just stop. But I do think maybe they could consider doing other, like, I mean, I guess it defeats the purpose of having person of the year, but person of the year in different industries. But then it's like sort of like defeats the purpose, doesn't it? Yeah, a bit. It's a bit like um, how GQ does man of the year and they'll do like sports person and artist and stuff. Yeah, Mm. that makes more sense. They could go down that road. I think if anything, they should just devote an entire edition to journalists like Oh, 100%. I think that, and for freedom and truth. I think that's an entire topic of itself. Oh, totally. I almost feel like if they appointed either a general person of the year, journalists, it feels a little bit uh, performative. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things where they can't win either way. So I'm in my head, that's I'm going... That's actually such a good point. Well, it's literally just an issue this has no bearing yeah. on anything it doesn't make people like or hate taylor swift more yeah oh it doesn't make the war <laughs> better or worse it's and i think as well like she hasn't given an interview in four years it was a i found it fascinating the interview the article um to just to get more of an insight into her like life now because she's so like I feel like she's like beyonce level where beyonce doesn't really do any media you don't really know about Beyonce's life anymore. Yeah. And even though you know about Taylor's life, I'm like, what's it really like though? What's it like being you? What's it like in your little world? And I felt she was very uncharacteristically open in this. What did you think? What were your thoughts? Tell me. Tell me. I saw some quotes on Twitter and I had to double check that they were in the article because I just, I was shocked that she said them. Some of them were as mundane as she's talking about about Travis and she says this all started when Travis very adorably put me on blast on his podcast which I thought was metal as hell oh my god I hate that quote so much it's she so literally cute. sounds like no she sounds like a 13 year old skater exactly. boy she sounds like when Bella Hadid is like yeah homeboy's gonna get it it's like how do you it's like she is an aunt Trying to work out the slang of the youth, which she probably is. Like, that's her energy. <laughs> trying to get down with the kids. She's like chaos aunt. He's like, what's hip and cool? What's the 411 chicas? Like, <laughs> I feel like she's, I, yeah, I, when I read that, I was like, metal as hell. Like, what is she saying? I love that you loved it. I've laughed at it. Oh, uh, I love it because it's, 
It's so Taylor Swift. Every time she does something that's just slightly cringe, I love her even more. Well, she loves cringe and we love cringe. But I love the line that um, – because they quote a lot of really interesting people in the article and it's like Stevie Nicks is quoted and it's like, I don't give Taylor advice about being – let me start that again. I don't give Taylor advice about being famous. Stevie Nicks tells me she doesn't need it. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, she doesn't, Stevie Nicks. Love you. Stevie Nicks is like the second most messy woman in the music industry marked behind Taylor Swift in terms of like personal life and songs and things like that. So if you have Stevie Nicks telling you – you don't need her advice. I think you really made it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, this woman was part of the Rumours album. And she's <laughs> telling you, you don't need advice. I mean, you've ascended. You've transcended. What did you think of the photo shoot? I loved it. It was very reputation. It In terms of, like, the darker colours, the eyeliner, the messy hair. I was talking to my friend Maddie about it, actually. And, and she was like, God, it's so serious musician. Like, it's very... She's on that, like, serious musician level, which I... I I agreed with and I think it's very she also said it was very Americana with the you know the photo of her with the guitar and stuff and I and I think she's leaning into that brand now of like she's dating guy from NFL she's the biggest pop star in the world and yeah she's regaining that sort of American capital capitalist influence I don't really know what I'm trying to say but I feel like it's very American what she's doing and and the photo shoot also felt very American to me that's what I thought the cover photo where she's in the turtleneck the denim jacket and then the big like Mm. car heart look waxy jacket yeah that feels very Christian girl fall American yeah 100% 100% uh but I really liked and I liked the photo of her with was it Benjamin or was it no it was Olivia the cat the cat I think it was Olivia loved that I like that the cat is looking at the camera she's so smart she's trained Taylor would have totally trained her I (laughs) I liked it I thought it was I thought it was simple and I think that in the past there have been a lot of celebrity photo shoots where they've like over egged the pudding and I feel like Taylor's at a point where it's simple is best and I and again I think that's her maturing into her artist hood she's not just a pop pop musician anymore she's an artist like she's a she's an auteur yeah she doesn't need to have the you know bells and whistles no it's it's not like you know I feel like it became such a thing in photo shoots to just put people in crazy outfit and they could have done that for this where they got something that was big on the most recent runway circuit and just put it on her and called it a day but they went very toned down oh yeah and I you know it's like it's like what they do in W magazine all the time when they do like the um actors and actresses like the Oscar editions and they always dress them up and they all look insane in a great way like I I love everything that they do Uh, I always think of like Emma Stone looking very whimsical and Tilda Swinton and stuff but again it's different because it's time isn't really a fashion no magazine so again I feel like it'd be kind of weird of them to go fully art house vogue vibe w vibes with this and i don't think taylor would want it either because she's so like protective of her image now and she's so like i want what i want when i want it absolutely um like beyonce like i don't think you could get beyonce into an outfit that she didn't want to wear at this point in her career and i don't think and i think taylor's the same you simply don't have to they don't need the outfit to speak for them they don't need a no. viral moment online they can stand well, she alone. Uses her red lip and then that's bob's your uncle because it's so, it's so hard, like, it's you can't separate it. Exactly. There was another quote that I thought was quite pointed and funny. It was, I've also learned there's no point in actively trying to quote-unquote defeat your enemies, she says. Trash takes itself out every single time. 
I love that quote. That's Me when she's talking too. about the Kim Kardashian, Kanye West of it all with the um, when Scott Borchetta sold uh, her catalogue to Ithaca Holdings, which is owned by Scooter Braun, who Taylor hates. Uh, I thought that was really, yeah, fascinating. It's nice just to hear her s- summarise it so succinctly. Oh, I liked it. And you can tell she's still fueled by so much rage from it, which I think is great. I loved the two things that I was struck by in this article was she was so open about Travis, which was, I felt insane. I loved it. And she was so open and I loved hearing about how she trains for the shows. So she says, this is inspiring me now. I'm like, big girl summer, like Taylor. (laughs) But it's also, I'm not Taylor Swift and I don't have an entire team dedicated to like honing my body. But she says that she started training six months ahead of the first show. Every, this is what gets me. And I've seen so many girls on TikTok trying to do this. Every day she would run on the treadmill singing the entire set list out loud, fast for fast songs and a jog or a fast walk for slow songs. She then, her gym then created a program for her, incorporating strength, conditioning and weights. Then she had three months of dance training and she worked with a choreographer who, the choreographer who actually worked with Emma Stone on La La Land. And then she also stopped drinking. And then after after she does a run of shows, she like takes a day to rest and recover and she doesn't leave her bed which I like because it means she rots like the rest of us in her bed she's so like committed with the fact she says I know I'm going on that stage whether I'm sick injured heartbroken uncomfortable or stressed that's part of my identity as a human being now if someone buys a ticket to my show I'm going to play it unless we have some sort of force majeure which like obviously you do sometimes with like weather and things like that Um, or if she like breaks her leg But yeah, she talks a lot about, you know, she says this is the proudest and happiest I've ever felt, the most creatively free and fulfilled I've ever been, which I think is fascinating because I think in the past she's obviously felt very hemmed in, which is why she left uh, Scott Boschetta's, you know, management company. And she's now different, but she's just talking way more about her relationships she never really talked about joe the fact that she's being so open about travis the fact that she's giving us all of the silly details that really don't matter i really appreciate i appreciate it too i don't believe some of them when she said that so everyone was like everyone thought that when she went to his first game that was their first date and then she was like by the time i went to that first game we were a couple i think some people thought that they saw our first date at that game we would never be psychotic enough to hard launch a first date And I'm like, I believe you're psychotic enough to hard launch a first date. Oh, yeah. I believe it. I don't know. Like, I don't know if she did, but I believe she's psychotic enough to do it. I reckon she heard him talking about her on the podcast and she was like, this would be very funny and cute. Let's see if we can make it happen. And then she saw the reaction and then they actually like each other and they're both incredibly good looking people. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you make it work? Yeah. Why wouldn't you just give it a shot? It's the comeback of the century People liked that she had a quiet Joe era. They liked yeah. that it was a long-term thing and there were the rumours that they were married, which Tree Payne has very clearly said did not happen. So Tales of publicist Tree Payne, who's kind of got, you'd say, like near-mythic status amongst fans. She came out like, what, last week or the week before uh, to Dumois directly being like, because Dumas was like claiming that Joe and Taylor had gotten married at some point. And she was like, how dare you, like, these rumours ruin people's lives, da 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 And it was the most random thing to, like, come out about. Especially because it doesn't seem like the worst rumour of all of the things that have been spread about Taylor Swift. Saying that she was married when she wasn't is quite 
harmless. I thought it was very interesting that that happened. But yeah, I, I loved it. And I think it, it, it indicates that she's in this like, oh, to overuse a word, she's in this new era of her life where she's, because she did like, she locked herself away for like, you know, months when she did Reputation and when she was in London and, and it felt very kind of chaotic and claustrophobic for her. And now she's just like, yeah, I'm living my life, like whatever. Like she says, yes, if I go out to dinner, there's going to be a whole chaotic situation outside the restaurant, but I still want to go to dinner with my friends. Life is short, have adventures. Me locking myself away in my house for a lot of years, I'll never get that time back. I'm more trusting now than I was six years ago. And it was nice. Like she sounds more settled. In a weird way, it feels like there's more person to Taylor Swift. It's like she had this extremely, Mm. she had this intimate feel as she was rising to fame and then she went through so much dropped off the grid came back with reputation she was this untouchable force and now she's come back to being human taylor swift still untouchable but she's a girl yeah she's still like she says stuff and i'm like what like just nerdy and dorky and cringy and i think that's funny yeah and i also yeah i think she is like in the most loving way she is kind of like a bit of a basic girl like she's a girl who loves a bottomless brunch she loves like rose gold things and like loves you know like do you know what I mean I feel like she's just like such a girl's girl girly girl basic girl loves an Aperol do you know what I mean yeah she's also that like mid-millennial where there's a a sense of shamelessness about it where she likes what she likes she'll wear an infinity scarf she does not care yeah exactly exactly I and I think and some of the stuff she still wears I'm like what but I'm also like I can't question you it doesn't it doesn't what, what's this gonna do it doesn't matter oh sorry by the time this comes out it'll be her birthday so happy birthday taylor happy birthday taylor please don't drop reputation on your birthday and and make me freak out but moving on to something very very different you and i both had the same experience this weekend we both saw Saltburn, the new movie with jacob alordi and barry keoghan did you go to the movies i did i oh, actually you'll love this because you're a sappy gal. Yeah. As you know, my boyfriend Liam and I are long distance. He's in Brisbane. I'm in Sydney. This is the exact kind of movie that we would have gone to see together. So he had the idea that we go to a screening at the same time on Sunday <gasps> and then call before and after so we could have like a little faraway date. That is amazing. I knew you'd like that. That is the best thing I've ever heard. That's the best thing I've ever heard. So went and saw it Sunday at the movies. What you saw it at cinemas too? I saw it at cinemas on Saturday. I went by myself. Was not cute or sappy. Uh, it was just so hot that I was like, I need to get out of this temperature. And I just walked to the Verona, sat down with the three other people in the <laughs> cinema, and had a great old time. I did that as well. I I went and saw Hunger Games on Saturday just to sit in the cinema for three hours. I haven't seen Hunger Games yet. I need to watch the other movies. I need to finish the Hunger Games first. I've been listening to the Hunger Games soundtrack a lot, though. It was really good. I'm not like a super Hunger Games girl, and I don't think I ever watched the last movies. Neither. This is why I need to go back. I've only watched the first two, I think. Yeah. I never read the books or anything, though. It was not really my... Dystopia was not really my bag. I was more of a vampire girl. I was very much the same. But yeah, watch it. Tom Blythe was incredible. I and He is so good looking it's ridiculous I've already said this to people I know but I'm putting on record I think he's going to be like Florence Pugh level I think he has interesting that same vibe and talent he's so talented so talented so good. I'm so intrigued 
I've not seen him in anything. No, neither. It was the same feeling when I saw Florence Pugh in Little Women. Oh, really? And I went, oh my God, this girl is going to be oh everywhere. God, I, want, I wanted to punch her in Little Women so much. That was like my main. Amy is a crazy, annoying character. <laughs> but acting-wise, yeah. incredible. Oh, acting-wise, she was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm intrigued. I've not seen him in anything. Literally, my only thought is he looks like a kind of... Like, he looks like what I would imagine Draco Malfoy to look like. If you know, you know, I live in a Draco Malfoy apologist household. Anyway, so we both went to see Saltburn. So essentially, if you don't know what Saltburn is before, it's a quick disclaimer. This is going to be a spoiler-free discussion, by the way, which is going to be really, really interesting to try and do. But basically, the film is directed by Emerald Fennell, who is, um, she directed Promising Young Woman and she won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. She also played uh, young Camilla Parker Bowles in The Crown and she was showrunner on Killing Eve. The film is set in 2006-2007, which is mildly traumatising for the fashion. And it focuses on a scholarship student, Oliver Quick, who attends Oxford. So Oliver is played by Barry Keoghan. He struggles to fit in basically because he's not upper class and he eventually befriends this guy Felix Catton who's played by Jacob Elordi. He's affluent and super popular and they become kind of friends and he sort of feels pity for Oliver's stories of you know his family have all of these substance abuse issues and mental health issues and then their friendship kind of grows over the year and Felix invites him to spend the summer at his family's estate Saltburn with his incredibly dysfunctional family his mother who is played by Rosamund Pike his father is played by Richard E. Grant and his sister Venetia and then their cousin Farley who's played by Archie Medwecki. I knew what it was about when I went in it's a mixture of Brideshead Revisited, Talented Mr. Ripley, Single White Female, Evelyn War, and Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, but with like a Dickensian, even Shakespearean dynamic thrown in there too. Completely agree. Even his name, Oliver Quick, I'm like, what is that? Like, that's yeah. so Dickensian it was to me. Very British and very country house summer. It felt claustrophobic, but. I want the house. I want that house. Me and that, too. that house, so the house they film Saltburn in has never been shown on film before. It's a private house. No one knows really like, it's, I think it was in like Northamptonshire or somewhere, but no one knows exactly like which house it was. It's got private owners, which I think is really refreshing when you like always see the same like three houses. You know, you see Chatsworth, you see Blenheim, you see um, Castle Howard. You, you see all the same. I mean, at least I <laughs> know the names of them because I have researched them. Um, you always see the same three stately homes and films, don't you? But you totally do. It's you. You totally do. I don't think I could live in that house afterwards. Like I watched this and then went home and just had to lie down. I felt frantic, but. I loved it. I called my mum straight after because she'd already seen it and she was like, you need to call me as soon as you get out of the cinema. I can see why. Yeah, I, I needed to talk to somebody about it. It was like like an indie sleaze car accident. Like I just couldn't look away. It was oh, nostalgic yeah. and familiar, yet like super confusing. I felt like pretty sick at the yes. beginning of the film because when he gets to – and these are not, we're not doing spoilers here, but he when he gets to – Oxford it's so like obvious that class divide and I never really think about it in terms of like actual human moments that people like that would have where you're at a bar and you don't have enough money to pay the next round or if you don't know these unspoken societal rules and I think because I've always been so fascinated with that culture and fascinated with that high society I actually felt kind of sick at myself 
being like, you've idolized this and you thought this is fascinating and this kid is getting trodden on, Oliver, getting trodden on by these people for no reason other than where he was born and his accent. And it just made me kind of self-reflect for about 10 minutes where I was like, oh my God. And then I got caught up in the montages and the privilege of it all, but uh, it was a quick self-reflection. But it was then nonetheless, like I felt very disgusted by it. Yeah, I think disturbed is also another word I would use like it was harrowing in what you just said but also it was like perverted and then it was sinister and then it was deranged and then it was twisted and then it was it was so obsessive like there's no way to just explain the plot to someone like if someone came to me and said oh what was it about just go to the cinema yeah the quickest the quickest way we can say it is he's poor he meets the we he meets this guy he goes back to this guy's family's estate like that's all you can say because there's so many layers and so many other things to peel back and so much like intrigue and sex and glamour and drama but also this like yeah perversion and it sounds like mental when you're actually like trying to describe it but it's mad I thought Jacob Elordi was wonderful he was I fantastic. thought he was great and I'm not a I'm not a huge Jacob Elordi fan because I've kind of pissed off at him recently because he's been bad-mouthing the Kissing Booth movies, which were obviously shithouse, but, you know, sorry they gave you a career. But, yeah, anyway, I won't rant about that, but I thought he was wonderful. I thought he was really incredible, and I think that annoys some people because he's mm. young yep. and a bit pretentious, but I... And so good, lo- but also incredibly good-looking. I believed him 1,000... I mean, I believed all of them, but he was so, like, loose and casual and... He just sounded like every character on Made in Chelsea. Like, I got kind of triggered every time he'd say, oh, my God, Ollie, mate, mate. I thought he sounded like Princess Di. <laughs> yeah, it just, it took me back to, like, the first season of Made in Chelsea where, like, you know, Hugo and Spencer and they're like, Spencer, mate, what are you doing? Hugo, oh, my God. Oh, da, da, like, Ollie. And every time he said Ollie, mate, I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm, like, watching Channel 4 right now. But it was, he had this sort of, like, empathy towards Oliver that was so I it felt genuine like obviously they all love it felt kind of like poverty porn at one point because they love to take in broken birds and shelter you know sad tragic people and they obviously see Oliver as a sad tragic person but it felt genuine when he like you know he knows that Oliver doesn't have a dinner jacket he knows that Oliver doesn't have the prerequisites for like their world but includes him anyway and he does it in a way where you go oh this is a genuinely nice guy but is he actually? Yeah. And you're constantly questioning his integrity. Yeah. And I won't say anything more than that, but that's how they're getting your attention and like kind of directing it throughout the film. I read this interesting thing in the Atlantic. They said the entire Catton family, which is the family that Jacob Lowe's characters in, the entire Catton family seems to get off on creating dependents whom they can both pity and control. Exactly. They turned him into a little pet. I also thought the acting was phenomenal. The way every single person delivered and it didn't feel like they were competing you know when you get too many good actors in a space and they're overacting and trying to like outact each other when it's a really cooked like ensemble yes and I think yeah it didn't feel that way at all every single performance in this was Oscar worthy like they played those little freaks to perfection freak is the right word I think that there were like three scenes where I felt physically ill was one scene where I actually gagged and then I went because flatmate Tom also saw it 
on Saturday with his girlfriend and then we both were talking about it on Sunday and he said he physically gagged from one scene and then we were talking about it and I started to kind of gag silently that scene yeah Yeah. you know which one I'm talking about it made me feel physically sick and that's why it comes out on like the 22nd or something on prime but go and see it in a cinema because watching it with other strangers and it was just impossible not to gasp and giggle and oh no it was such a reactive movie true and it's beautifully done like it's a beautiful film they have a weird aspect ratio they filmed in um yeah. which emerald Fennell said that it was a practical thing to get like a lot in each shot so when you you could see like the floor of the house plus like the ceiling and stuff and she said it was so you feel like you're looking in on moments which i didn't really agree with i found it quite distracting to be honest yeah, I liked it. I thought visually this is probably one of the best movies I've ever seen. And it was, yeah, compared to the story, it was very lurid. Like the way she used lighting and color to convey the kind of circus of it all was so effective. I loved it. It felt very, I don't really know like camera terms, but it felt very saturated because they're filming it's an English summer and I'm like English summers don't look like that like I'm sorry they did not uh they made a very kind of summery almost like um in atonement how they have that it's sort of a hazy feel of the summer this sort of hazy romantic feel and um which I thought which I thought was done really well and some great montages there's a great soundtrack obviously it's set in 2006 2007 uh my favorite moment well there are several but one was um, this great montage. It was just when I was feeling really horrible about the class system and then they played MGMT's Time to Pretend and I was like, we're all good now. There's a montage. And I thought that was nice. But I did feel like, and I, I've read a lot of reviews saying where, because it was so visually stunning, uh, sometimes that came at expense of the plot. I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, someone said, it's like watching the first half of Psycho turn into the music video for When Doves Cry or George Michael's Freedom. And I was like, okay but that of okay. itself is a story I I don't I think it added to it I well I think the whole film is about it's about beauty and it's about the obsession like the obsession with beauty and the fetishization of beauty so it would make sense then that the film also lingers on that rather than because they do go into character a lot but it's like I don't think any of those characters felt shallow to me at the expense of style no and I think the way it looked made you feel trapped in it as well and the house had to be its own character because you have to become as obsessed with it as everyone unconsciously is in the film it's like how in Downton Abbey how the entirety of Downton Abbey is them being obsessed with the continuation of this household it's not your house you're preparing it for the next generation it's and that's everyone's undercurrent and obsession and I think in Saltburn it's like this house is such a kind of it's its own character really it was I think because uh, Emerald Fennell's very, like, of that world, of the the and family world. So, but it was, there was one, did you read that in, um, review in Variety when the review was written by a girl who went to Oxford with her? No. Yeah, it was super, super interesting. So she was talking about, she, in her review, she was writing about how she went to Oxford with Emerald Fennell and said that, because um, she's very connected, like Richard E. Grant, who plays the dad in this, is a family friend. She, her mother is an artist, her dad is a jewellery designer, uh, whose clients include like Elton John and stuff. And her 18th birthday was photographed by Tatler. Yeah, like she's very, very of, the, of this, this world. world. You just have to hear her talk. Yeah. <laughs> you have to hear her talk. Her, you hear her talk and then you understand. But she, it, it was interesting hearing her take on the Oxford experience 
in relation to Oliver's experience. Um, she said, I arrived at Oxford as the state-educated daughter of Soviet emigres with a borderline unpronounceable last name. By the end of my first year, I was used to seeing people's eyes glaze over when they asked me the all-important question, where did you go to school? It was crucial information because if they'd heard of the school, it meant you were one of them. If not, their eyes would slide past your shoulder to see if there was anyone more worthwhile to speak to, which I find it fascinating. I did see quite a bit of backlash directed towards Emerald Fennell in that people were saying how legitimate can this take be if she's of that world. But I think yeah. the fact that she grew up wealthy and grew up amongst pseudo-aristocracy showed in how self-aware the film felt and how preposterous it oh, was. Yeah. I think it gave a legitimacy to all of their behaviours because she's seen it. She's been to houses like that. She's met people like this. You know that she would have based these them on real people. I saw one review that called it condescending and blasé but I think that added to the story it was her unique perspective to dramatize class and wealth and rich people being completely and utterly ludicrous that you wouldn't get from an outsider you wouldn't be able to touch on that nuance so I don't think it's a bad thing that she was raised in this world because it came across in the film I think it makes it more legitimate I do think it was interesting London's London's Evening Standard called it profoundly anti-upward mobility, which I can kind of get based on the ending. Like, I get where they're coming from. But that's, again, we can't have that co- a conversation around that comment without acknowledging the ending. But and maybe a better one is, while Saltburn acknowledges the tribalism of the upper classes, it, don't, it doesn't interrogate it. If anything, given the ending, it's presented as sensible, a way for aristocrats to, present, to protect themselves against dangerous interlopers. I think I think they're more saying like again they're acknowledging like the tribalism of the upper class like how how middle class people can't you can't make that leap yeah in England whereas like in Australia it's a lot more egalitarian so it doesn't really matter who you are or what your parents did or where you grew up whereas in London it's like purely just because of the way he speaks he's not one of them so I feel like they're saying like it acknowledges this but it doesn't really like interrogate it it doesn't say it says things about it, but it doesn't really like go deep. But it's not supposed. It's not supposed to. It's not the movie that's going to be tackling class privilege. Does it need to? It's a black comedy psychological thriller. I think there are other films that can do that. I would like to see another film that does that, but I don't really think that this is the film. It's there's a different there's a different plot going on. There's something different at the heart of this film. Exactly, and I feel like we've had a kind of wave of anti-rich content over the past couple of years like eat the rich etc and this I don't actually think it was that I I've seen most reviews call it a parody or a satire and I don't even think it was that per se I think construing it and critiquing it as a satire of privilege and wealth is missing the story a little bit I don't think it has to Mm. interrogate any views I don't think it has to take it down it just has to it was just an absurd tale of manipulation and lust and yeah, shamelessness. It can, just, it can just it can just exist. But I I think that I don't think it's eat the rich. I think if anything, it's uh, again I don't I can't like say what I want to say because I don't want to spoil anything. But if anything, he wants to like consume their world. Consumers, right? Yeah, he doesn't hate them. He wants to be one of them. He wants to learn and that's what he's doing the whole film. He's cataloging, he's learning, he's seeing how they 
live and work and eat and you know interact and in to become a part of it if he wanted to eat the rich he would have done things very very differently i think and the the story would have been constructed very differently yeah but he it was almost like a talented mr ripley thing in terms of like the obsession and even like secret history you know how have you read secret history no about donna tart there's a character in it called richard papen he's like the main character and he becomes obsessed with like the main other characters they all study greek and he just wants to become one of them and he becomes kind of consumed by it and i think it's the same thing here uh, it's also because that film is a that book is a campus novel and this is the you know first however many minutes you're on you're in oxford but what did you think about the, because it was set in 2006, 2007, the wardrobe and like the general vibes? The music was perfect. The soundtrack. Yeah. Iconic. Flawless. Iconic. I'm so yeah. happy to see Murder on the Dance Floor in a movie. Oh, Sophie Ellis Baxter. Yeah. We will not say obviously which scene this comes into, but Murder on the Dance Floor by Sophie Ellis Baxter features. And I love that song so much. And to hear it in this film, I got actual chills. Uh, I was having chills the whole second half of the film, but yeah, fantastic. And what did you think of the clothes? What did you think of everything like that? I thought the costume was flawlessly done. It added to the idea that we're living in this fantasy land. I wouldn't wear any of those outfits normally. Like you see Venetia in these crazy like pink lurex and these floaty nightgowns. I liked the nightgowns. Her, Me too. Uh, her everyday wardrobe was fucked. It was like bad, like patchy fake tan, like dead hair, eyeliner. Very like of that moment. Very like Effie, if Effie wore fluoro colors all the time. It was, I think they nailed the time period. And I don't think you could mm. have made this movie today. You, you couldn't set it in 2023. You couldn't set it in 2015. It had to be 2006. You have to have the benefit of at least 15 years hindsight because as, as Emerald Fennell said in some interviews, she's like, uh, any earlier and you can romanticize it too much, but this is like, it's still kind of gross to see what people were wearing in 2006, 2007. Like it's still embarrassing and it's cringy. To do that in a way that shows, that still shows that they're rich would have been really hard because it's so easy to look back on fashion from 10 years ago and just think that it looks cheap and tacky and not quite right. Yeah. But they still did yeah. it in a way where you go, oh, these are extremely wealthy people. Well, and the thing about really, 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 really rich people are is they never dress particularly fancy. They never dress particularly well. Jacob Lord is walking around half the time with no shoes on yeah. and ripped <laughs> pants and a linen shirt. Whereas, you know, Oliver, Barry Kogan, his wardrobe is all very fresh and new because he's had to buy it for this trip because he doesn't have anything nice enough for it and oh my god and Jacob Elordi's eyebrow piercing he has an eyebrow piercing while he's at Oxford but then he doesn't have it when they're at Salt Burn because I read this thing that Emerald Fennell said I knew in my soul having been a woman having been a young woman in 2007 myself that an eyebrow piercing would be the thing that would make you entirely lose your mind if you've if you've never been around the back of a nightclub with a boy with an eyebrow piercing and then cried into your kebab later you have no skin in this game (laughs) She's been and there. I She's been around that. these traps. I feel like I'm like, you've definitely gotten off with a boy with an eyebrow piercing. I am not one of those people who like eyebrow piercings, but it made me laugh to see him with one. Yeah. Again, I think that added to the age more than anything. I I think very of the time. I think, I think we're not, we are not people who were 
that age in 2006, 2007, we were children. So it's very different. I think by the time, by the time I came of age, it was nose piercings on men were a big thing. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know why I hate them. I don't know if, I don't really love them. I mean, I don't hate them, but I just, it's just not really, it's not really my bag. Now I reckon it's for men, it's the double, it's an ear piercing, one in each ear. Yeah, I, think I agree, ears. That's yeah. the 2023 the version now. of the 2006 eyebrow piercing. And he wears like jorts and sambas. Yeah, interesting. Okay, okay. We're tackling the important topics here today. And then, but I loved that they are reading, they read Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows because it's the summer that it comes out. Even there's a part where they're watching Superbad on the TV. Again, I think it just encapsulates the humour of the time and it makes you feel like it's mid-2000s. Yeah, it's a beautifully done film. It will make you feel a bit sick, make you feel a bit dirty. I think overall I really liked it. There are a few loose ends that I want to know about and I also want to maybe a bit more character development. But I also feel it was yeah, deliberately confusing and I kind of just have I to... I think it was supposed to be... We were supposed to have a deliberate distance from them because they're distant characters. Oh, and we haven't even mentioned... We haven't even mentioned Carrie Mulligan's cameo. Oh my God. I, I think they could have done more with her character. I loved her. So Carrie Mulligan in the film plays uh, a family friend, Pamela, but she's credited as poor dear Pamela because that's how everyone acknowledges her. And she's basically this kind of like a Blanche from Streetcar Named Desire, she's living off the kindness of strangers vibe. Uh, she's basically just a friend of Elspeth's, Rosamund Pike's character, and she's staying at the house. She's got this like insanely red hair, voluminous red hair and tattoos everywhere. And she's been going out with a Russian oligarch and she's clearly very unhinged. She just um, seems befuddled all the time. She was so funny. Yeah, kind of out of it a lot. I loved her. Yeah, and every she's sort of the object of everyone's pity and scathing wit they all are actually even Venetia the daughter there was one bit when they were talking about how she has an eating disorder and then what does she say Rosamund Pike says oh it's fingers for pudding yeah she has fingers for pudding because she makes herself throw up and then she says something like how um and then Oliver says oh you know I I didn't know that she had an eating disorder and then Rosamund Pike says something like oh she can't even do that properly then she can't even (laughs) Rosamund Pike's like comedic timing, beautiful. And when she was like, "I have a dis, I, I hate anything ugly. I have a fear of ugliness, Oliver." I'm like, "Girl, same. <laughs> I get I it. Get it. <laughs> I would just say it's beautiful to look at. There's a hell of a lot of fluids in the film. Take that for what you will. And there's so many uncomfortable scenes. I felt like I had to shut my eyes from like cringe." Like, you couldn't believe it was happening. Maybe don't have, like, a big meal and then go in. Yeah, I ate afterwards, to be honest. I was a bit depleted. (laughs) I needed some space from food for a second. I'm glad I had, like, time to walk. I walked home afterwards. I'm glad I had time to, like, walk home and, like, digest. Yeah. It was, like, when I watched Oppenheimer, I was, like, I need time to digest. And then I felt really good because then I – because I've been avoiding all the articles and stuff. And then I – and then yesterday I just really went – honed in but there was this really interesting thing that I want to read out from and I want to get your thoughts on this Emerald Fennell does the notes on a scene from Vanity Fair 
and she talks about Jacob Elordi playing Felix and she said it's really it's a really difficult thing to play a nice guy when it comes to character in general I don't think any of us are nice I just don't know anyone nice not really not anyone I know well I don't think I'm nice I think we're all completely in denial about our own characters I don't think it would be possible for any of us to describe ourselves accurately in the way that other people see us don't you just find that the most fascinating thing to just say randomly yeah I think she's so strangely open as a director but you can I think she shows her age like you can tell she's just a 30 something woman you can tell she was raised on this content on on these yeah. these songs and these characters and yeah. these boys with eyebrow piercings you can tell from that quote yeah I find her a fascinating individual do you think you'd be friends with her absolutely I would love to be friends with her me too I think yeah we'd have 100%. A, a fun I friendship. think I would love to be friends with them and I would love to go salt burn <laughs> you reckon to be honest I would have a I would have a ripper summer there yeah because I wouldn't be Oliver Quick I think I'd, yeah <laughs> I'd hope to play it a bit differently <laughs> I'd hope that my ending was a bit different I just want to have a good brainless time I also in my research I discovered that Barry Keoghan has a bit of a rags to riches story I love this kind of thing so he had a troubled upbringing his mother was a heroin addict and he and his brother were raised in 13 different foster homes by the time he was 10 before they lived with his grandmother and his mother passed away when he was just 12 from an overdose and part of his coping was watching films and then he saw an advertisement for an open casting for an Irish crime drama when he was 16 and the rest is history. I love stories like that. You can tell he's just a natural talent and he has that passion for cinema. 100%. He's also one of the most unsettling people I've ever seen on camera. How does he look 40 and 14 at the same time? Yeah. How? But also, he's so... I always thought he was kind of like a slight person, like a little guy. He's fucking built. He's Or at jacked. least he got built for this... He's got built at least for this role. Like, oh my God, the bit when they're in the field and he put takes his trunks down and they're all like, <laughs> Oliver. That's a plot twist. <laughs> but he was, he's tanned and built and like, what? He doesn't look Irish. No, he's packing. What the hell? <laughs> um, that was a shocker. He's got these amazing blue eyes as well. Blue like a wolf. Yeah. Actually. And that's what they actually say that in the movie. Um, Rosamund Pike's like, oh, you've got the most amazing, bl- beautiful blue eyes. And I was like... He totally does. He's got this yeah, very kind of interesting face. He said in an interview that he had five different Olivers that he played. So he consciously developed wow. each one as a character and then played them at different points in the movie. And I think... I'm obsessed with that. That shows, to be honest. It shows because when I think about a certain point in the movie, I think about a different Oliver. I think about him as a yeah. separate character. And then I go, no, that was the same guy. And when he's with different people, it's a different Oliver. Like, he's a different Oliver than he is with Felix, than he is with Venetia, than he is with Farley, than he is with Elspeth. Um, And he manages to use all of that to his advantage. I read this really interesting thing from the, like, hair people, the hair and makeup people, that they had, like, four distinct or three distinct different looks for Oliver. So when he goes to Oxford, he has the Justin Bieber comb, you know, the hair fringe thing then he kind of actively tries to style his hair more like Felix and then he has the summer look and then he has the future Oliver look where he's way more refined 
I mean, I love, I love backstage. I love behind the scenes stuff like that. So when I, when I saw the pictures, I was like, God, it makes so much sense. It does. And I hadn't really thought about how he looked differently, but in my head, when I, again, when I think about a certain scene, he's got the coinciding hair and he's got the coinciding look. It, yeah. it just, it leaves you on your toes the entire time going, wait, 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 who is this guy? Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's very, you know, if you want something similar, Brideshead, Talented Mr. Ripley. There's a really great book called The Party by Elizabeth Day, which is super similar. Um, I read that a few years ago and it's really, really good. Same kind of like weird friendship, class divide, just, you know, obsession, jealousy, things like that, that it really reminded me of. But we should really move on. <laughs> so we're both traumatized, but loving our lives from Saltburn. But something else mildly traumatizing has happened in the past two weeks. Spotify Wrapped has been released. The insane, deranged, beautiful, lovely listening habits of all of us have been out there in the world. People have been posting about them. It's embarrassing. It's fun. It's a real indication of where your mental state's at. Um, so Emily, who were your top artists and what were your top songs and give me all the dates. Do we want to go one for one? Oh, that's fun. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Okay. Your, your top artist, I'm guessing it was Taylor Swift. What was it? Yeah. My, uh, my top artist was Taylor Swift. Was yours Taylor Swift or Arctic Monkeys? Mine was Arctic Monkeys. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Okay. What was your second top one? Harry Styles, surprisingly. I didn't think I listened to a lot this oh. year, but... He's, interesting he's been on my spotify rap the past few years so it checks out that's that's fun my second artist was olivia rodrigo <laughs> <laughs> again we love the girls number three for me was fleetwood mac which oh fab it's the year of daisy jones i can't help it oh yeah 100 percent. my number three is beyonce <laughs> all of mine are the girls except for one so yeah <laughs> number four for me was taylor swift oh amazing number four for me was <laughs> Daisy Jones and the Six. <laughs> a literal fic- fictional band. It's not our fault they're better than most real bands. Yeah, I can't help that they went really, really hard. And it was like my main listening was in April, which is when the show came out. So I think that's exactly the same as having Fleetwood Mac as my number three. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What And what was your number five? Number five was The Last Shadow Puppets. So another Alex Turner. Oh, vintage. My last one was my last one was One Direction. <laughs> That's vintage. <laughs> it is. I can't help it. They have so many bangers. What's your top song? Uh, All American Bitch by Olivia Rodrigo. We're just teenage I think it's girls. because I listen to it. I think it's because I listen to it every morning when I walk to work. Like it's the first song I listen to when I leave the house every morning because it just gets me in the zone for the day. It's on my like shower playlist because it's really fun to like scream. Yeah, fair. And she just performed it at SNL and it was really, really good. I just love girl songs where you can scream. I'm a, I'm a woman. I'm a girl. I had a sad girl song as my number one. Um, different oh, genre. Was it was Lover You Should Have Come Over by Jeff Buckley. Are you okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> Any Jeff Buckley song, I'm like, girl, get therapy. <laughs> I love Jeff Buckley, though. He's beautiful. I loved Tim Buckley, his dad. Jeff Buckley is so gorge, though. Yeah. Are you okay, though? No, I'm not. I'm not okay, but it made for a good listening year. What was your number two? That's nice. My number two was Look At Us Now by Daisy Jones (laughs) Number Six. It's because I listen to it so much with my friends and just generally. It's it's a great song. It's written by, what's his face? Marcus Mumford. Yeah, so you know it's going to be good. My number two, similar vein, it was Silver Springs. 
by Fleetwood Mac. Oh, great song. Is that the one that's like, you'll never yes. get away <laughs> from the... Oh, amazing. It's basically the same song. It is. It is. What's your number three? My number three is Cuff It by Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I listen to it on the way to work. It's such a good song. I almost think it's unfair to give us 12 months of listening because no month for me is the same. And I also listen to the most like pop girl shit on my Spotify. Like I have my iTunes for like my other like indie girl shit. This is very much like pop girl that I didn't buy when I was like 12. Like karaoke um, but- by yourself. Yeah. 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 But Cuff It is a great song. I thought it was going to be Cuff It or Heated. Um, Heated's like my number seven. But yeah, Cuff It's up there. My number three was July by Noah Cyrus, an oldie. Oh, I love that song. That's a great song. I think it's a really good song. I, when did it come it's out? It's a beautiful song. Like a couple of years ago. My number four is also Sad Girl. It's Vampire by Olivia Rodrigo. Great to scream I'm, in the car. No, no. That's not a sad girl song. That's that's a that's a ballad. It's my friend Seb's favorite song because he says it really motivates him when he walks. <laughs> it's a really good walking song. I get it, Seb. Actually, he said he'd actually he said he'd give me financial reimbursement if I said his whole name on this podcast. So love you, Seb Cox. There you go. <laughs> my number four is "Hits Different" by Taylor Swift from the Vault yeah. thing or whatever that she released. Yeah, it's a bit of fun. And what was your number five? The random. You've got the love mm. by Florence and the Machine. Oh, that is random. I don't know I love that. how I got here. I think because there are certain playlists I have that are like you're driving with a friend and you just need to put on some songs that everyone knows. Oh, yeah. You can't have anything questionable. You just have to no. have yeah, If mainstream. someone gets yeah. in my car, I can't play them Jeff Buckley. They're going to think I'm insane. No. So I'm going to put on like I have like a girlies playlist and that's where you've got like. Oh, that's really nice. You've got the love and that kind of thing. So I think. It just ended That's what's up happened there. in there. It's a good song. I like Florence and Machine. It's a great song. I think it's probably the one that I listen to the least out of all her stuff, but yeah, yeah, it's a banger. I definitely thought I listened my, to others more, but yeah, Spotify rap doesn't. My lie. number five is "The Very First Night" by Taylor's Taylor Swift. Uh, the Vault track from Red. <laughs> she is a Vault girl through and through. I love the vault. Yeah. And I love bonus tracks. Last year, my number one song was a One Direction bonus track. Um, (laughs) So I'm a huge bonus track girl. But yeah, the very first night, which I listened to so many times this year, like insane. But my top genres were pop, modern rock, jazz, indie pop and soul, which I think is a nice cross section. Um, But I think my number my number five and my songs are very indicative of me. Yeah. Uh, I do listen to other non-pop things, but those are the main ones I listen to on Spotify. I don't really know how to feel about mine. I think it just speaks to the diverse range of moods that I've felt this year. Yeah, I think that's. I think Jeff Buckley is number one is so intense, but I love it for you. I love that for you. What was? Where were you from? Oh, mine was like Provo in Utah. It was really weird. It's because I listened to a lot of um like like Pride and Prejudice soundtrack. And they said they were like, um, people here listen to a higher percentage of the Pride and Prejudice soundtrack or whatever. What, were you like Burlington or whatever it was? No, I was York in the UK. In the UK. That's cool. <laughs> Is it? That's fun. I mean, Is it yeah. really? It makes sense. It makes sense with your like bands. Well, thank you so much for um, being on this Saltburn Taylor Swift journey with us this week. Uh, we were going to do more topics, but we just got totally waylaid talking about Saltburn. And who can blame us? Go see it and then you'll know what we mean. 
Thank you again for joining us. Uh, Please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Tell all your pals. We'll see you next week. Go and watch Saltburn. Yeah, go and watch Saltburn, please. Thank you so much. Hit us up in our DMs afterwards. If you need a little therapy, we are here. Yeah, and just remember not to eat before you see Saltburn. That's That's our PSA. Yeah, and limit your liquids. Yeah, please limit your liquids. Um, But that's all from us. Bye. Bye.